Let's clap to our God again, church. Good morning. How you doing? Man, don't you love singing to Jesus? Amen? I love singing to Jesus. So glad you guys are here. They're going to set something up. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning, and we just want to welcome you. I want to welcome our guest here this morning. Thank you for being here. I want to welcome all of you, of course, but we are very thankful if you're a first-time guest. Thanks for being here today. We hope you feel uh, our love here today and that we want you here. We're excited about that. Uh, I'm excited to be back with you. I missed you last week. Uh, I, uh, I, got to, I tried to take a little time off for some spring break, and maybe some of you tried to do that as well if you have kids or whatever. And uh, I ended up on spring break, I ended up getting the flu. What a beat down, right? What a beat. I blame Pastor Randy because he had the flu the same week. Now he's blaming me, but he's not here today, so I get to blame him, right? But, uh, and then I ended up with bronchitis and nobody has time for that. We know that, all right? And, uh, but uh, I'm excited about you being here today. And uh, You know, next week is a big Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's something I want you to understand. Before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. We want to understand that today. And and I'm really excited about our services that are coming up next week. As Kyle, some of you maybe were coming in a little bit late. You didn't hear. You need to know our service times are different next week, okay? And uh, and we're moving our, our Sunday night service to a Saturday night service next week. And so uh, it's going to be a big week. Now, I'm really excited about all God is doing in our church. I'm excited about our Easter uh, experiences that we're going to have. Our children's ministry is going to do an incredible Good Friday experience for our kids. If, if you have kids and uh, kindergarten through, I believe, sixth grade, right, Dustin? Sixth grade? Then uh, you want your kids to be in on this. This is going to be a big deal. I'm excited about those things. Don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm also excited about? I'm excited about the fact that because you gave so generously at our first gift offering, that was back at Christmas, because of your generosity, I just want you to know, do you know your church EBC, we are right now involved in supporting and coming alongside financially as well as some coaching opportunities, at least nine church plants this year. Other churches getting started because of that. Yeah, that's huge. That's big. But one of our one of our church planners we're working with, Trey, would you stand up? I won't do it to you, Amy, okay? And uh, she's thanking me. But this is Trey. Many of you know Trey, but Trey's Trey's first Easter service is this next Sunday and I want at Community Link, right? And I want you to be praying for Trey. We love his family and we are with them and we're supporting them in every way we can. And, uh, but I'm excited about what, what God is going to be doing through Trey. And, but nine other church plants. And I also introduced another church planner we're working with right now who's in our church. Uh, he was in the last service. He's not in this one, but his name is Rocky. Man, what a great church planning name right there, Rocky, right? But I'm excited about this. We're working with him right now. We're looking to plant a church in the Las Vegas Trail area over in that, that, that rough part of town. Rocky uh, feels compelled to go and plant a church there. And uh, you may have seen articles in the newspaper about what's happening over there. It's a crime-ridden area. It's one of the, the biggest crime-ridden areas in the Metroplex right now. And our, our, our city is trying to do some things to help it, and I'm thankful for that. By the way, the church should be, uh, should be coming along and undergirding, right, and serving others and serving our city. But here's what I know. The government can't fix what's going on over there. Only the gospel of Jesus fixes 
and changes lives. Amen, right? So we're going to plant a church over there, Lord willing, hopefully this upcoming year. But I just wanted you to know those things are happening. So we're, we're looking at potentially 11 churches that we are working with and planting and working with, with our wonderful church planters who sacrifice so much. We love these guys. And that is, we got to know, church, that what is happening in God's kingdom is bigger than what's happening on this campus. Amen, right? What God is doing all over the place is bigger than just in these walls, and we get to be a part of it. If we want to see our culture changed and impacted by the gospel, then we have to quit our small thinking and thinking, thinking that it's only about what's happening in these walls. We got to be willing to go out. We got to be willing to send out. I just want you to know, because you've been generous, we're able to fund and support things, and, and I, just, I just want you to know, I'm pretty fired up about that, as you can tell, okay? But I'm also fired up about it being Holy Week. This is, uh, this is Palm Sunday, and I'm excited about where we're heading this upcoming week, and that Good Friday, we're doing two Good Friday services, and then we're going to do five services on the weekend, so a total of seven services next weekend. And the question that I want you to think about, and Kyle mentioned this too a few moments ago, if you didn't hear him as you were coming in, there is these cards that are right here. The question you need to ask, and I want to ask you this, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has he changed your life? Many of you would say yes, amen, right? Who do you know that needs to hear the story of Jesus? That needs to know the hope that you have been given because what God has done in your life. Who do you know that needs to, that needs to know about Jesus? So I want to urge you this week, as Jesus was so bold to go to the cross for us, right? Could you just have some boldness this week? Take a card and be asking God to show you people that maybe they don't have a church home and you would invite them and you would, you would invite them to come and to hear the story of Jesus. I will be talking about this question next week. Who is this Jesus? We're going to talk in depth about Jesus next week. We're going to talk about him today as well. And so this, as we celebrate this, this Palm Sunday, I want you to understand kind of we're in this series called Imprints, the Imprints of Christ. And what we've been talking about over this month is we've been talking about the different imprints, those indelible marks that Jesus made upon uh, his believers, ultimately upon us in the last hours of his life. We talked about his humility and washing feet. We talked about his dependence upon God, his service of others. We're going to talk more about his imprint of love today. And we're going to, we're going to talk about just how Jesus was so selfless when we can be so selfish, right? We, we're, we want to talk about those imprints, but I felt led to take a turn today. We're going to talk today about not only the imprints of Jesus upon us, I want to talk to you about the imprints of humanity upon him. What happened to Jesus? What did he experience? What did he go through? I can't wait to celebrate the resurrection, but you got to know there's a crucifixion first. And you got to understand what it means and what was going on. So on that Palm Sunday, seven days before he would be resurrected from the dead, the city of Jerusalem was packed with people. It was the celebration of Passover. People were coming from all over Israel to celebrate this as they would sacrifice a lamb and they would celebrate what God had done in delivering people out of bondage in Egypt. All of this, you got to know, was pointing towards the Messiah. It was the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as he would be lifted up. 
So the people are lining the streets. There is a frenzy over this carpenter from Nazareth. They are lining the streets. They are, they are yearning for a Messiah. They are wanting someone to set them free from the oppression that they were under and the yoke of bondage that they were still under. Now, they were under a bondage of sin, but they were also under a bondage from the Roman Empire at that time. The Romans were oppressing them and were abusing them, and, 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 and so they were, they were looking for a Messiah, but the problem was they were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah at this point. They didn't yet understand, as was being prophesied about the one who would come. They, they, they were thinking that he would merely deliver them from Rome. They were short-minded in their thinking here because what he wanted to do was to deliver them and deliver all of us from a much greater oppressor, which is our sin. One that holds us in bondage. And that oppression of death and the separation that we experience from God because of our sin and our sin nature that began when Adam and Eve chose willfully to sin against God and now it's been carried on through us and we live with this separation with God unless we bless our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And so people were, were yearning for the Messiah. They, were, they had witnessed all that was going on in Jesus' ministry years. Sick people were being healed. Blind people were given sight. He was raising even the dead. He was feeding the hungry miraculously. People who were thirsty were getting drink. Tax collectors, this was a miracle. Tax collectors were given money back they cheated people out of. That's a miracle, right? You know that. Lives were being changed. But you see, everything that Jesus was doing was not yet fulfilling his main purpose for coming. That had not happened yet. In fact, as, as Jesus, throughout his ministry, Scripture says, by the way, that purpose for coming was to ultimately die. He said, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will draw men unto himself. He willfully went to the cross and died for our sins. We were separated from God because of our sins, because of Adam and Eve uh, choosing sin over the relationship with God. Now we, as Scripture says, without faith in Jesus Christ, we are separated from God. We are not in a relationship with God that you and I are made to have. You're made for that. In fact, if you've not experienced that relationship with God, it, it means that something is wrong there. And, and you realize that something's wrong there. You can't earn that relationship with God. You can't be good enough for you to be back in that relationship with God. Somebody had to pay for our sins because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Now that death is not only physical death because when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't physically die at that moment. Now they eventually did, but they were spiritually dead. They were separated from the God who made them. And you and I are separated from God until we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's why he came. That's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate what God and remember what God did through Jesus. But all throughout his ministry years, he would... He would declare himself as God. And you can look that up if you're not sure about that. In the Gospel of John, he says it over and over again. There's no mistaking. He wasn't saying, I'm, I'm just any other prophet. He was saying, I am the Son of God. I am God. I and the Father are one. He would say those kinds of things over and over again. No mistaking it, okay? 
As, as, as the great C.S. Lewis said, he's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He's got to be one. And you have to reason with that and you have to reckon with that. And, 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 and so he would, he would say bold things. And so crowds, before they started seeing some of these things happen, whenever he would declare himself as God, they would try to kill him. Mobs would, would come around him. The religious leaders would incite riots around him, and they were plotting to murder Jesus. They hated Jesus because of, 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 of the things that he was saying, and he would call out their hypocrisy, and he, they hated him for calling out their hypocrisy because he didn't mince words with them. He would tell them that you are oppressing people. The bondage that they were under was also the religious bondage at that time. And so Jesus it would say this over and over again. The time was not yet at hand. He would somehow miraculously slip out of the crowd. I don't know how that happened. I would have loved to have witnessed that. But somehow, when they would just get ready to apprehend him and either try to stone him to death or do something to kill him, the time had not yet come. That's what the Bible would say over and over again, over and over again. What does that tell us? He's in control. In fact, whenever they came to apprehend him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, where is this Jesus? And he said, here I am. And when he said that, I am, it says these guards fell to the ground. In power, he spoke. I love that John records that. John is all about his deity. It's all about his deity. But then he, he lets them take him, as we'll talk about here in a moment. But the time was now at hand. The time was perfect. It was the Passover festival. The scripture says in Colossians, in the fullness of time, the perfect timing, everything he did was with intention, leading to this specific moment. He knew when all of those people would be there that this was the perfect time for him to be lifted up. Isn't it interesting how you can go from one minute, the way we say it today is from being the hero to being the what? boy, a crowd will turn on you in a heartbeat. Because you see those very same people on that Palm Sunday that were declaring, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were waving palm branches back and forth and they were lining the streets. Those were the same people that within an hour, a few hours or a few days would literally be calling out for, for the Jews and for the Romans to crucify and kill him. Crucify him, kill him. Isn't that interesting how quickly people can turn? Some of you know that. You've, you've experienced that in your life. Where I want to take you in the next few moments is I want to take you to the place of the cross. We get used to seeing these things, don't we? For some of us, it doesn't even move us anymore. Well, I hope that God today will, will quicken your heart and remind you. I do want you to come and celebrate the resurrection next week, okay? You bring people with you. Let's pack this place out. Let's, let's see who needs to hear Jesus. But, but here's the deal. I don't want you to go through this week as a believer and get to Easter Sunday and you haven't thought about the crucifixion. You haven't thought about what Jesus went through sacrificially for you. If you are a believer, I pray that this week that, that, that God will will reveal to you the ultimate sacrifice that he paid for you, that it will move your heart deeply, that we won't ever get used to this. 
right? I, there are a lot of important things that we do around here. I, I love that we do great series and, and by, but, you know, that are based upon the Bible. I love that, we, that the Hope Center is up and running this year. That's our, our ministry for mental health. I love our small groups. I love, I love our student ministry, our children's ministry. I love everything that's going on. I love that we see relationships restored. I love that we want to see people get out of debt and go through financial peace. I love all those things and those things are important. But here is the thing that I want to point you to today. None of that stuff matters without this. It doesn't matter. It's powerless without this. In fact, Paul would write in Romans, he would say that the cross is the power of salvation. The power of salvation. He talks about this, right? And so as we go to the place of the cross, as I was on spring break, I was reading a little bit and I came across this passage and the Lord just just burdened my heart with this. And Paul is, is speaking to the Corinthian church and he's telling them there's lots of important things he's telling them in that great letter. And he's giving them great doctrine and he's correcting them in some areas where they need correction. But then he gets to this passage in the last, the last part of the letter in chapter 15, verse one, and he says these words, okay? He says, now let me, what are the next two words? Remind you. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want to remind you. Isn't it interesting that Paul so, so soon would have to already be reminding them? Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, about the good news. That is that word gospel, okay? And we're going to explain good news here in a minute in gospel that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you that restores you back into relationship with God. If you continue to believe the message that I told you, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place, there was some false doctrine that had been taught. He goes on and he says, and there are some big words right here I want you to catch. I passed on to you what was, what are the next two words? Most important. Say it with me again, most important. So he said, we're talking about important things, but then he says, I want to talk about the most important thing, which someone else, by the way, passed on to me. You see, why are we planting churches? Why are we compelling you to reach out to others? Someone passed it along to you, and Jesus said it's our responsibility to pass it along to someone else. Paul said, it's been passed on to me, and I passed it on to you, and I want you to pass it on to someone else. In fact, we're commanded as disciples to do that, okay? So he says, I want, you to, I want you to pass this good news on to other people. What's most important now, here is what it is. And, and he says, and what has been passed on to me. Now, this is big right here. Here's what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins. For our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried, it says, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. That's the good news. Christ died. Not just that he died, but that he died. Did you catch it? For our sins. For our sins. Paul says, this is what is most important. This is what matters most. I don't want you to forget about this is what Paul is saying. Don't get distracted by all the other things that are going on. We can get distracted from the cross. We can get desensitized to the cross. And he's saying, I want you to remember it. I don't want you to forget it. 
By the way, this is why we started EVC 18 years ago. Whenever God was leading me to plant this church, it's because I grew up in this area. I love this community. I love these people. And I want them to know that Jesus loves them the way that he loves me. I want them to know that he can change their life the way that he changed my life. A punk kid who was over in that high school over in Boswell, that he got a hold of me while I was there and he transformed my life. And he changed everything. My whole family has been changed because of Jesus, right? And I want people in this community who are struggling, who are suffering, who are looking for purpose, I want them to know that same truth that I have gotten to experience in my life, that I I can actually be in a relationship with God. That's why we started EVC, is because Jesus died for people. He died for their sins. He was raised from the dead. And this truth is why we do everything. This is why we plant churches in Quebec. This is why we want to plant a church in, in Las Vegas Trail. This is why area. This is why we're going to, Lord willing, plant a church in Honduras this year. This is why we do everything that we do. It's because of the gospel. It's because Jesus died for our sins and he was raised back from the dead. And he restores us unto God for all who will believe. And that's what changes lives. In fact, I would say this personally for every person here, for every person who has ever lived, who has ever existed, that this is the most important thing for you to reconcile in your life. Here's what they are. You ready? Who is this Jesus? Why did he die? And why does it even matter for me? What, how, how is it relevant for me? This Jew who lived over 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross, what does this even have to do with me today? Why does this matter to me? Why is this relevant? Is it even relevant today? Paul is saying in the book of 1 Corinthians that nothing is more important than this, that our entire faith hinges upon this truth. But it's not just understanding that he died, it's understanding why he died the reason behind it, that he did it for us. So with all of that being said, go with me to the cross today as a reminder of what our faith is about. And again, it's easy to get desensitized to it. We wear, we wear it around our, our neck, many of us, right? Or we have it as decor in our homes. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. What I'm just, what I'm just wanting us to do today is to say, Lord, will you give us fresh eyes for the cross? I don't ever want to get used to this. That's what Paul is saying is, don't get used to this. Paul is saying, remember this intentionally. So as we look in Luke chapter 23, that's where we're going to be for the rest of our time. I want to remind you that Jesus has been betrayed by, his, by some of his, one of his closest friends, Judas Iscariot, one that he, he sought out and invited to be a part of his disciples. He's been betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's been abandoned by his close friends friends who, who said they would never desert him, who would never, they would be willing to die for him. So his emotional torment was already happening. He knew that all of these things were going on. He willingly allowed the Jewish religious leaders and their lynch men to, to apprehend him, to, to take him in where they verbally, physically, and, and emotionally abused him where they would blindfold him and mock him, where they would slap him repeatedly over and over again. He easily, he let him tie his hands. He could have taken his hands out of that at any moment. He showed them beforehand that he was in control when he said his name and they fell to the ground in awe of his name. They spat upon him. 
They pulled the hair out of his face from his beard. They took him through six illegal and false trials all throughout the night. And he remained silent until they asked him, are you the son of God? And then he said, you have said it. You have said it. Basically, what Jesus went through that night was ultimately, we would call it this today, he was tortured. He was tortured that night. He had gone through a scourging. We'll talk more about that in a moment and what that means. He has sweat drops of blood while praying in Gethsemane and and understanding the gravity of not only the physical suffering, but understanding that the weight of all of the sin that has ever been committed and will be committed was going to be placed upon him at that very moment. He even in his humanity said, Father, if there is any other way to do this, could this cup pass, but not your will or my will be done, but your will be done, God. And so he he continued along understanding the fullness. And have you, have you thought about that? I mean, I know that he understood what was about to happen physically, but every genocide that has ever happened, every mass murder, every school shooting, every rape, every, you think of the most heinous sinful acts, Jesus understood that all of that would be upon him at the cross. He understood what he was going to be taking upon himself That is why the scripture says that he began to sweat drops of blood. That is an actual medical condition called hematidrosis where the stress is so so immense upon a person that the capillaries begin to burst and mix in with the sweat glands. That's why that happened. He was overwhelmed, not only understanding physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. His disciples, who he asked to be praying for him, his closest boys, right, be praying for me. They were falling asleep on him, right? They were, they were falling asleep several times. Guys, I need you to pray with me. They fell asleep. Oh, I mean, he was just going, do you understand what he was going through? Everything that he was going through was, it was torturous what he was experiencing. After the scourging, and again, we'll talk more about that in a moment, they placed a a cross upon him. He began to walk down what is called the the notorious Via Dolorosa. That means the way of pain. That's what it literally means. The way of suffering where he would be led out to a place called Golgotha and ultimately crucified. Let's look at what Luke has to say and how Luke records this. In chapter 23, verse 26, he says, As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. The reason is that Jesus had already been through immense beatings, and he fell at this point from blood loss, from lack of sleep, from everything else that he was experiencing, the exhaustion, the hematidrosis that he experienced, all of this had caught up to him. The scourging that he experienced, it caught up, and so he fell. The beam was heavy. This is called a patibulum, this here, and the patibulum likely weighed somewhere between 100 to 200 pounds. It was like a railroad tie. And so he fell. And when he fell, they picked Simon to begin to carry this for him. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women, but Jesus, and Jesus didn't say a lot of words. He said some words, 
But in this time, he was often silent. But he said these words to these women who were crying. He said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have not nursed. People, he says, will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things that were happening to Jesus are done when the tree is green. In other words, what he's saying, if mankind treats me like this in my innocence, what is the judgment that is coming for those of you who are not innocent and the wrath of God? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. So he was going out with criminals. He was being led out with those who were thieves and insurrectionists. When they came to the place that was called the skull, that's Golgotha, we'll look at a picture of that in a minute, they nailed him to the cross. You see, and that's really all the detail we kind of get right there. We're going to go into a little more detail in a second. But as the criminals were crucified, one on his right, one on his left, Jesus said these words. Jesus didn't say many words. I want you to think of the imprints of Jesus. What does he say? Father, say it with me, what? Forgive them. Man was doing his worst, and he is still doing his best. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, and the soldiers then began to gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. They were fulfilling prophecy that had been written over 750 years before. The crowd watched, and that really stood out to me this week as I was reading that passage. The crowd watched. You see, you can be a part of a crowd and be very indifferent. You can witness it, but that doesn't mean that your life has changed. What did, what did I say at the beginning of this year? We don't want to grow a crowd here at EBC. We want to grow a church that is deeply in love with Jesus. Amen? We want to go deep. We want to see lives change. We don't want to just grow a big church. Man, there's enough of those. We need churches where people are being transformed by the power of God. Amen, right? Amen? And, and, and so the crowd just watched. They watched. You could just watch today and never have your life changed. You can walk out of here today and just be a part of the crowd goes on and it says this, the leaders, the ones that knew better, what did they do? They scoffed at him. We got him now. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers who were there, they began to mock him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They didn't even try to give him something that was actually refreshing. They, it was like they were giving him vinegar. Boy, isn't that what you want whenever you've gone through what he's gone through? They, they, they offered him sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They were indignant with him. The sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals that was hanging beside him He's even being heckled by another criminal, by another fellow person going through crucifixion. He scoffed at him. So you're the Messiah, are you? Well, we'll prove it then. Prove it by saving yourself. Prove it by, by saving us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, the other one protested. Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, are you that wicked? 
That's what he's saying. Don't you, we, I want you to notice some things here, okay? Because I want you to see how many times it was noticed that Jesus was innocent. And it wasn't just by his disciples. Even this criminal protested this. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. He even recognized it, right? Pilate recognized this man has done nothing wrong. And you're going to see here in a moment that even the Roman centurion realized he was innocent. He says, I, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus replied, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he believed in Jesus. And you will be with him in paradise if you believe in Jesus and what he's done for us. He said, you will be with me in paradise. All right? We go on and we read, by this time, it was about noon. Jesus had been on the cross for three hours at this point. They began the crucifixion at about 9 a.m. And it was about noon. And this, you know, you can just read through this, but I really want you to think. I really want you to put yourself as if you were there at the cross. And I want you to begin to think of, of what was happening at this time. Because as the scripture begins to say, it began to get dark at that moment. It says that about noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. I mean, think of how we made such a, and this was a big deal, a big deal. You remember last summer, the, the eclipse that happened and all this is going on. So, so darkness, people are standing around. They're understanding that this is, this is significant what's happening here. This just isn't any other Jew that's being crucified. Darkness falls on the land. Man, things are starting to happen that are creeping people out. What's happening here? Who is this guy? And I started thinking it wasn't just a physical darkness that began to encompass the land. Spiritual darkness was moving in. Was moving in at, at the darkest hour where God himself would take his last breath and allow himself to die in our place. That's powerful when you begin to think of it that way. And at that moment, it says the light of the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, that curtain represented a separation that is between a holy, righteous, just God who's never sinned and a representation of, of sinful humanity, and that's us. And at that moment, that curtain split in two, miraculously, making it possible for us to enter back in to the Holy of Holies in relationship with God, where every one of us can experience what is called the priesthood of every believer, where you don't need a priest anymore to get to God. Amen, right? You have direct access to God because of what Jesus did. He split it in two so you can pray to God. You don't ask me to pray to God for you. You get to talk to him. This is what he did. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. The other gospel accounts also say that he says these words. It is what? Finished. And when he said those words, he breathed his last. That word is tetelestai in the Greek. It literally means this, paid in full. 
Mission accomplished. I didn't just come just to heal some people and and come in and you wave palm. I came to redeem mankind, to bring you back to me because I love you. And I don't want, here's the thing. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He's not lonely without us. This is the beautiful thing. He wants us. He wants you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to have conversation with you the way he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants you to experience the fullness of this. That's what you are made for. It goes on and it says this. When the Roman officer who was overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God. This pagan worshipped God. This is not just any Jew that we are crucifying today. He worshipped God and said, here it is again, surely this man is what? Innocent. He even recognized it. And when all the crowd came to see the crucifixion, they saw what had happened. They went away in deep sorrow. In deep sorrow. You see, here's the deal. I'm telling you a sad story today, and you could go out of here in deep sorrow. But the question, that's, that's not what we're trying to do. We want you to understand, yes, we're sorrowful over what Jesus went through for us, but, but it's not just that Jesus died. It's why he died. It's, it's why he experienced this. It's, it's what that means for you today, right? Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching. And that's just for emphasis is that at that moment, he was alone. So Paul was saying, what Paul was saying right here is, don't ever forget this. Don't ever get used to this. Don't ever get desensitized to this. Don't ever yawn at this. Don't ever, don't ever just get to this place where you're bored with the story of the cross And what he's saying is, he's saying, I don't want you to ever get distracted from all that God has done for you. Because when you understand the depths of that love, it will change your life. You know, I remember back whenever I was a teenager, and we were going to a church, and I was still trying to decide whether I was going to follow Jesus or not. We were going to church, but my life wasn't being changed. Am I talking to the right people, right? And I was just going along with everyone else. I'd go out and I'd, do, I'd party on the weekend and then I'd go to church. My life wasn't being changed. And then I went to a service and I heard a pastor talk in depth about the crucifixion. And I want you to know it cut me to the heart. Because I realized that what Jesus went through was because of my sin. When I began to understand the depths of the crucifixion, because we just read through the crucifixion account, right? We just read through it, and, and, and we get used to it, and we've heard it. And many of you have grown up in church, and you've heard it since you were in vacation Bible school or, or Sunday school. And, and, and Paul is saying, remember this. Don't forget this. This is what is most important. So I want to just explain for a moment 
what happened to Jesus. Because there's questions you got to ask when you go through a story like that. Important questions. What really happened? Because you see, here's the thing. It just says in the gospel accounts that they crucified him or they drove nails into, and, and we hear that and we're like, okay, but they don't, they don't go into painstaking detail because you see everybody that was, was hearing that story then and the original hearers, they understood what happened at a crucifixion. They didn't need it explained to them. We need it explained to us because we've not seen that personally. The closest many of us will ever come to any kind of crucifixion is maybe if you saw the passion of the Christ or if you saw the Bible story and you see that and you, and, and, and you hear that. And, but we've not witnessed firsthand public crucifixion. Even today in the United States, very few will ever see any kind of public or any kind of execution. Some go who are victims, uh, government officials go to that. But many of us will never see anything like that. It's different than it used to be a hundred years ago where they would do public hangings and, 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 and it was a public kind of thing. You know, in other parts of the world, they would where someone does something wrong, they might cane them in public or they might behead them. Or, and, and it's all an, an attempt at intimidation. It's all an attempt to say what this person did who is guilty, do not do this. But we won't see anything like this. But crucifixion was a form of, of execution that was invented by the Persians around 800 BC. And it, it didn't start off with a cross. It just started off with a long spear where they would impale people and lift them up, where they would die a slow death, where they would be bleeding to death uh, for days. And they did this as a form of state-sponsored terror. Okay, And it was an intimidation tactic. Crucifixion, though, was taken to the next level by the Romans, who took it uh, in, their, in their evil way of thinking to a, to a whole new level of pain and suffering. And, and they took it to a place of humiliation far beyond what even the Persians did. It was historically known as the most horrific and shameful and painful and public way to die. Even like historians who were not Christians, like Josephus, who was who was a, a, a Jewish historian. He wrote about crucifixion. He talks about it as the most wretched of deaths. Cicero, who was a Roman philosopher and politician, he wrote this. By the way, they wouldn't crucify Romans because this was such a hideous way to die. They, didn't, they wouldn't do that to their own citizens. The Romans would do this to those that they were occupying and the lands that they were conquering. They would do this as a state-formed sense of terror to intimidate. And so Cicero said this, that Roman citizens, good, decent Roman citizens shouldn't even talk about crucifixion. You don't even discuss it. That's for those people. We, we're not going to lower ourselves to even talk about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, God declares, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. So for the Jews, this was the worst way to die. This was not for a righteous person to die in this manner. Uh, and, and, and for example, on, on the day, but it happened all the time, but on, on the day that Spartacus fell, 6,000 people were crucified in one day by the Romans. 6,000, that would be like on a 120 mile stretch of highway, they crucified 6,000 in one day. So they were used to seeing this. That would be like, from here to, say, like Waco, there would be 6,000 people down I-35 that were crucified. 
Can you imagine the devastation of that? This is, this is why they wanted a Messiah to overthrow the Romans. Does that make sense? Because of th- this was happening. They were looking for this. And so they saw this in a regular, on a regular basis. The worst possible people would show up and torment those who were being crucified. They would gamble over them. They would gamble on who was going to last longer. They would gamble on who would, who would lose control of their bowels. And I'm telling you these kinds of things not to be crude. I just want us to understand that this was the most humiliating way to die. It was the most humiliating thing that our God decided to go through. Yesterday, Hope and I, my wife, we were sitting on the back porch yesterday morning. We were drinking coffee and, and we were just catching up for the week. And, and I was telling her what I was going to be talking about today. And Hope said this as I was sharing with her just about the crucifixion a little bit. She said, you know what just blows me away that the God who is the creator of the universe in all the timing of any way he could have selected to die, he picked this for us. We didn't pick it for him. He willfully went. This was how he was lifted up. I mean, he could have picked anything, but this is how he humbled himself. While they were crucified, people's families would be there. Their parents would be there. Oftentimes, brothers and sisters would be gathered around them. The crucifixion was, generally speaking, was a very slow kind of death. Now, Jesus died in six hours but, uh, b- because of the severe beating that had happened that he had gone through. But for some, they would live up to nine days, it's recorded. But the way that they would die would be not through often through blood loss. It would often be through asphyxiation. It would be through suffocating. And, and what they would do is they would take, the Roman executioners would take a, a spike that would be like this, and they knew exactly how to hit the nerves to cause the most amount of pain for a person who was going to be crucified. We call it excruciating. You see, this was the most painful way to die. Words were made up to describe the cross. Excruciating means out of the cross. That's where that word comes from. So they would drive this in hands and in in feet. Can you imagine the experience of that? And then for you to be able to get breath, you would have to push yourself up to get breath into your lungs And then you would let yourself back down and it would expel the oxygen from your lungs. Some would try to hasten their death by just just not pushing themselves back up. But a good Roman executioner would come along and for those that were doing that to prolong their death would would oftentimes nail something under their their bottoms so they 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 would be seated there so it would prolong the death and torture them even further. Some of you have seen those those kinds of crucifixes with that on there. That's why they did that. And so they would, they would push themselves up, back and forth, back and forth, going in and out of consciousness. While they were hanging on the cross, they would come and people would taunt them and, and they would throw things at them. This was a humiliation. They would become dehydrated. They would go through delirium. What I'm just wanting us to catch today is these are the imprints that we placed upon our God. Jesus' imprints to the very last were imprints of service, humility, love, uh, thinking of others, selflessness, all of this, while, while he was doing his best for us, we were doing our worst to him. And it's, again, it's not just that he died, it's why. Our worst was brutality. It was hatred. He was loving. We were hating. 
he was sacrificing, we were abusing. So Jesus' experience, as you know, he was betrayed by close friends. You know he was abandoned by those who, who he loved. When he's in the garden, it literally that Gethsemane word means olive press. He's being pressed upon, pressed down upon, sweating drops of blood. He had full knowledge of everything that was coming. Jesus, as a boy, had likely seen many crucifixions. In A.D. 4, they crucified thousands for a Jewish uprising. Can you imagine him understanding and knowing? Because he would say it throughout his ministry, that's going to happen to me. That's where I'm headed. I'm going to the cross. His disciples would try to rebuke him. No, you're not doing that. You're too powerful for that. Jesus would say, no, I'm going to be lifted up. Uh, That's going to happen to me. I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. They didn't get it, right? So they dispersed whenever this happened to him. He allows himself to be arrested. He's blindfolded. The Bible says this, that they took him and they had him scourged. They had him scourged. Not, uh, when we read that, it's, it's, it's not just typically deeply explained for us, but the scourging was so severe that many men would not live through the scourging. They would take what was called a, a flagrum or a cat of nine tails they would stretch the victim out on the post. Uh, this is a, a scourging post. Or sometimes they would, they would tie their hands up high. They would strip them down naked. This was designed to have two guys who would hit from both sides. It would cover the entirety of the back. Now, this one doesn't have it, but on, but on this flagrum here, on this cat of nine tails that would be used, there would be lead balls that would be attached to that. There would be metal hooks that they would attach. And a a skilled executioner would know exactly how to make that go into a person's body and into the side. And they would yank a little and then they would literally rip the flesh off the body. And again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to exaggerate things to you today. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I just want you to understand the depths of what he went through. Literally, when they finished with him, he looked like a piece of meat. In fact, the Bible would even describe it like this. Isaiah 52, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. That was written 750 years before he experienced this. After they finished with this, while that was going on, there was one soldier that was driven by, had to have been by satanic forces that were influencing him, knowing that he was being declared as a king, decided to fashion a crown out of mockery for him. And they took thorns like this. Somebody made this for me and gave it to me, and I, I have it in my office, and it reminds me of this. I don't mean to be weird here, okay? I, a lot of you know I'm weird, but, but I don't mean to be, all right? But yesterday, as I was thinking about this and just studying a little bit and just getting myself ready for this, and I knew I would bring this today, I've never done this before. And as you can clearly see, I am very bald, okay? But yesterday, one, when I picked it up, I hurt myself because it's so sharp. But I just, I just thought, what, what must that be like? And so I very, very delicate, I'm not going to do it this morning because it hurt, but I very delicately just put it on the top of my head, just very delicately. And it 
hurt. It says that they took a staff that they were mocking him with as his scepter, and they beat it into his brow. He was brutalized, right? Brutalized for our sakes. Pilate was trying to satisfy the bloodlust of the Jews. And as he was there, he was like, isn't this enough? Pilate says, look, behold the man. Look at this. Isn't this enough? And they screamed, no, crucify him. So they led him out to the cross. We read about that a moment ago. They nailed him to the cross. And for six hours, Jesus suffered further for us. While we were making our imprints upon him of hatred and brutality, he looks and he locks eyes with his mother. Yet another imprint of love. You see, I, I think if I was going through that, I'd be thinking about myself a little bit there. But then he looks at his mom And in a moment of love and responsibility, he looks at his friend John and he says, will you take care of my mom? Take care of her. Moms, doesn't that get your heart? I was just thinking if this were my son yesterday as a parent, I was thinking of that and and knowing that he's still thinking about others. He's thinking about me. What an imprint of love. This all happened at a place called Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull. It's on the outskirts of town. It's still there today. This is the place where many of them think that it was. And as he's hanging there, this is the other thing that I thought may have been the greatest miracle. As they're taunting him and saying, come down from the cross if you're really the Messiah, to me, and I told Hope yesterday, you know, to me, the greatest miracle is that he decided to ignore the, those taunts and this, the mockery, and he decided to stay there because you realize at that moment he could have called legions of angels. He could have said, I'm through with all of you. But he didn't. He finished the job. He finished it to the very end. Imprints of love, and he, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when he says these words, you you should understand that he was quoting the first bit of Psalm 22, which was prophecy. And all those who knew that psalm understood he was fulfilling the prophecy. I urge you to go read Psalm 22 this week. At that moment, when it turned dark, when when he declared that, what he was doing was trading places with us and all of our sins were being placed upon him at that moment. And this is where Paul writes this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that's what he did. But really the more important question is, why did he do it? Why was this done for us? When he prayed, Father, forgive them, 
Matthew records, he also said it's finished. The mission was accomplished. What was the mission? It was to pay for all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and enter back into the relationship. Why did it happen? Why did the worst thing happen to the best person who's ever lived? We call it the good news. Friday, we will call it Good Friday. What's so good about it? What's good is that not just that Jesus died, it's that he died, and here are the important words, for us. Last scripture, Romans 5.8. In fact, will you read it with me out loud? But God showed his great love by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. If there is no for us, there is no good news. It's not good. When we look at the cross now, what we know is this, God proved his love for us. When you go into this week as a believer and you're reminded of the cross, you're reminded of the suffering, you're reminded, know that it was for you. And I was thinking, I don't want to just tell the story tomorrow when I was thinking about it yesterday. I don't want to just tell the story. What do we do with this? And what I was thinking, and as I was talking with my wife about this and what Hope said and what I was coming to the conclusion of is Jesus died to self for us as a great act of love. And as a believer, the holiest thing you can do this week going into Holy Week is choosing to die for self and love others. And being like him, that's the holiest thing that we can do in remembering him. Paul said, remember what is most important. I want to just invite you to pray with me as we just thank God for the cross. As you're praying, as you're, as you're bowing your heads, can I just ask you this? Aren't you thankful for the cross today? Amen. Are you thankful for what he did? And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to know that he came for you. I want you to know that he loves you, that he pursues you, and that John says to all who believed in him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, See, it's not just enough to know that he did this for you. You gotta believe in him. Don't be like the crowd that just walked away in sorrow. Be the ones that saw him for who he was, the Messiah. If you've never trusted Jesus, you can maybe say something like this to him. Dear Jesus, I do believe that you are the Savior. I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to thank you for going through everything that you went through for me. And in a moment of faith right now, I'm trusting you as the one who can save me. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. I want to be with you in heaven for eternity. And I know I can't do it by myself. I can never be good enough. But when you said it is finished, you completed the job. So today I receive you, Jesus. And I want to follow you. If you're already a believer today, I want to urge you to remember the cross this week.
to live for Jesus this week, to die to self this week. Today, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, we'd love to know about that. There's a connection card that you can find that's in the chair in front of you. And there's a place that says, I trusted Christ as my Savior. We'd love to know about that so we can celebrate with you. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you're the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us. In response, we worship you today. We express our love for you today. We want to live for you today. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing in conclusion?